Welcome, y'all, to the All Y'all Podcast. I'm Chris J. And I'm Sarah Abair. All Y'all is a live storytelling event series and podcast that Chris and I produce independently from our little home studio here in Shreveport, Louisiana. The 2018 season of All Y'all is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Maryland's Place. For those of you who don't live in Shreveport, Maryland's is one of Shreveport's most popular restaurants, especially for brunch on Sundays. It's kind of a thing in Shreveport. Maryland's Place plus brunch is... Uh, it's lit. So if you're looking to enjoy a Sunday fun day as well in Shreveport, Maryland's Place is your best bet for people watching, great food, and strong drinks. Boz, our friend Boz Balcom, the owner and chef at Maryland's Place, has been one of the biggest supporters of all y'all um, since the very beginning. Thank you, Boz. You can keep up with them uh, with Maryland's Place by liking their Facebook page. That's Maryland's Place with two N's. Thank you, Maryland's. This episode of All Y'all features a story from Mama and Daddy, which was a two-night storytelling event that we hosted at the Bossier Arts Council's East Bank Theater, and that was way back in March of 2016. And during that night, storyteller Luke McClung shared an incredibly personal and darkly funny story, and we're really glad to have finally come back and caught up with Luke and to release this episode with his story. Sarah and I should probably point out, full disclosure, we lived with Luke for about a year, just after we got married. In that time, we got to know Luke really well. It turns out he's one of the best Dungeons and Dragons dungeon masters in Shreveport. He's also just a really friendly, smart, and like completely well-adjusted guy. So that's why it was really surprising that he approached us to tell his story at Mama and Daddy. And we had never heard the story about how Luke came to terms with his father's secret life. Here's Luke McClung telling that story, and we have taken to calling it Sneak Attack. Well, good evening, everyone, and it's been great here so far, and so I'm going to get into my story about my father. I don't come from a broken home. I come from a home that was never together. My parents had a big fight during my mother's pregnancy, to the point where I do not have any piece of my name that is my father's name. My father's name is not on my birth certificate. I have my mother's maiden name as my last name. I have my grandmother's maiden name as my middle. They reconciled when I was a couple months old. They were never together again, but they wanted to be there for me. And so my mother raised me, and I would go visit my father. It wasn't a huge distance, but it's not like I have a lot of friends now who have a split from a significant other, and they're still living in the same town and stuff. My mother and father are about 30 to 45 minutes apart, different points in my childhood, sometimes further. My dad traveled for work. So I was a guest in my father's life. I would visit him a couple weekends a month, um, a couple weeks during the summer, and he was a super normal guy. Uh, my mother was a professional. My father was from the country. He was a heavy construction guy. He did cranes, heavy loaders, stuff like that. So he'd follow the jobs and he'd live out of a trailer and he'd be in South Texas for a couple years and out near Houston. He'd, he'd be in the Gulf for a year. So sometimes I'd see him 50 days a year. Sometimes I'd see him 20. But I always knew he loved me and he was always, you know, somebody in my life. He just wasn't there day to day. When I say my dad was a normal guy, I mean a normal country guy. So let me lay a baseline for that for you. <laughs> His normal 
non-work clothes were a pair of coveralls without a shirt underneath it. And when I mean normal, I mean we went to the store in that. Um, he liked hunting. He liked fishing. I'd go with him. I was horrible at it, but we always had fun. I was pretty good at fishing. No, still haven't killed a deer. I'm 35 years old. But he was just a guy, and he loved me, and I loved him. There was nothing particularly interesting about my dad other than being bald by 30. Um, skip that generation. <laughs> that all changed the summer I was 12 years old. It was middle of June, July. It's been 23 years now. And I was at home. When I say at home, I mean at my mother's place. And uh, we got a phone call, and it was my dad. And he talked to my mom for just a minute, not long. Like, he didn't say much to her, I guess. And then she handed the phone to me. And he started the conversation with, I want you to know I'm okay, but I want you to know where I am. I've checked myself into rehab because I've been doing crack cocaine for years. And so we talked a little bit that day. He, he, he was in a voluntary rehab facility, so he wasn't like dealing with phone privileges or something. He, he didn't get arrested. He didn't get caught with drugs. But he had something bad happen to his life that I never quizzed him on, and it made him realize that he needed to do something. Now, my dad had another family. He had my stepmother, who'd been around since I was two years old. I don't remember a time without her in my life. Great woman, lovely to this day. And I had two half-sisters on that side. And so I know it hit them harder because they, they separated from him. That's what drove him to the point, apparently, where, where he realized what he needed to change. And over the next few months, they weren't around. Um, the split between him and my stepmother meant they didn't spend much time together. Um, part of his realizing he needed to fix his life was that he became a born-again Christian. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone convert to something like that, but if the same people that they were with don't have the same zeal for that, that movement at that moment, they're not always on the same page. Uh, they still loved each other, but they weren't right for each other right then. And so over the next year when I spent time with my dad, it was just me and my dad instead of my sisters being around, my stepmom being there. When I'd visit him out in the country, I'd just be me and him. And that was some of the strangest days of my life because he wanted to give back to people. And he wanted to change people, and he wanted to help people. One time in specific that I'll tell you the story of, we went from where he lived out in the country in rural Webster Parish, and we drove to Shreveport to a free clinic here. At the time, I barely knew what free clinic was. And we went in and we picked up an entire box. And by box, I mean like two feet by a foot by six inches deep of condoms. And we drove out into the country on all these back roads at these drug dens he knew of because he couldn't make them change their ways. But the least he could do was try to make them do some of the things they did a bit safer. And Getting to know my father then was so different. I was public schooled in Louisiana. Third grade, we started doing DARE. Maybe it was even second. I can't remember now. So I knew what drugs were, but there was no 
there was no drugs and family. Drugs were drug users were victims or or, or criminals. They they weren't people you knew. They weren't oh, this person has a normal life except for this one thing that's apparently pretty big. <laughs> so I'd never thought about it. And specifically with something like crack. Crack is, to this day, the 80s inner city drug. It's not on yachts. It's in the ghetto. And my dad was a poor white dude from Webster Parish. And somehow, crack cocaine, other hard drugs. Over that year, my thoughts about my dad changed. I still loved him. He still loved me. And he was doing so good. And he stayed clean until he died. About a year after he got clean, um, there was another phone call. This time it was my grandparents. This time they did talk to my mother before they talked to me. And I knew something was wrong because my mother answered the phone and about 25 seconds later, she was crying and holding the phone to me. And when I answered, my grandparents told me my dad had had a heart attack in the shower and he was no longer with us. By the time my dad had died, I had been to five funerals um, of relatives, close relatives, an aunt, great-grandparents, grandparent, all of whom I was close enough to. I was the oldest great-grandson, stuff like that, um, that I'd been sitting in the front row at, at the... Uh, the funeral and the reception, stuff like that. I was already feeling, at 13 years old, pretty callous towards mourning and towards death. And my dad's death just reinforced that. Um, that week was real busy. Me and my stepmother and my sisters, we, we picked out the casket. We knew where he was going to be laid already. The family had some plots. But um, my dad, who'd never been sick in my entire life, the only time he'd gone to the doctor that I knew of was for skin surgery because he'd had a tattoo, the ink had gotten infected. And that was when I was like four. And nobody told me, and he, the family knew, but I wasn't the family in this case because I was a kid. The family told me afterwards that, that he'd known his heart had been damaged a lot by the drug use. And so they knew it could have happened any time, but they were trying not to tell us kids because they didn't want that out of hanging over us. That made it a little bit better, I guess, because he was at peace and hopefully a better place and all that. So I made it through that week, and we put my father in uh, his permanent resting place, and I went about my life because I was a guest in my dad's life. He wasn't there every day. There wasn't him to miss every day. It would occasionally occur to me that, oh, yeah, my father passed. I'll never see dad again, or remember this thing my dad liked, and you know I'll never have him cook hot dogs for me again, and stuff like that, but I was okay. It was fine. I never cried for my father. Didn't cry at the funeral, didn't cry when dealing with all my crying sisters, didn't cry when my grandparents were crying, and I wouldn't wish the burial of a child on anyone in this room, or anyone I've ever met. And my grandparents went through it real strong. And that leads me to eight years later, Eight years later was 2001, it was midsummer or something, and I had friends that I'd hang out with every weekend, and as they already gave me away on, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so every Sunday I'd meet up with my buddies and we'd play Dungeons and Dragons. But every now and then we'd have a reason why we couldn't do that, so if most of us could get together we'd do something else instead. So a couple friends of mine were out of town or something, so four of us decided to go see a movie. 
And so we went to go see Pearl Harbor, the great film starring Ben Affleck by Michael Bay. About three quarters of the way through that movie, the bombings happened. Cuba Gooding Jr., who's been in the film as a cook's assistant and a black man in the Navy in 1940s, is one of the few survivors of his ship. And he's running on and off his ship saving people. And, you know, there's still explosions happening. He's been firing guns at the sky. And then he finds the captain. The captain of that ship was the closest thing in that movie he had to a father figure. And the captain is wounded, lying in the a bridge, I guess. And Cuba Gooding Jr. is trying to save him. And he says, no, leave me behind. I'm the one that can go down with this ship. You save everyone else. Cuba Gooding Jr. is crying on screen. The captain's telling him to leave. And all of a sudden, I start crying for my father. Right there in that theater, with friends on either side of me, age 21, <laughs> I'm crying at Cuba Gooding Jr. And uh, it wasn't a nasty bawling. My friends didn't even notice until we left the theaters. And I told them, like, holy crap, I started crying during that movie. All of a sudden, it hit me at once. My dad's dead. I'm never going to see him again. And that's how morning works sometimes, I guess. I, I didn't see my dad every day, so it wasn't three weeks later. It took all those hours that I didn't see him spread out that, that finally kicked in. And that's the story of how crack killed my dad and Michael Bay made me cry. <laughs> I don't recommend either of them and stay off drugs, kids. Thank you. That was storyteller Luke McClung. We recently caught up with Luke to discuss his experience on the All Y'all stage. And believe it or not, we actually rented Pearl Harbor thanks Amazon Prime. And um, we made Luke watch the attack scene again because we were dying to know if he would cry again. But first, we've got to thank another one of our sponsors, Williams Creative Group. Williams Creative Group is a marketing and public relations firm located right here in Shreveport. If you or your company have ever had trouble telling your story, maybe you could benefit from their help. It's a noisy, clutter-filled world out there these days. Visit williamscreativegroup.com to learn how they might be able to help your business cut through the clutter and connect to customers and just the general public in more meaningful ways. Thank you, Williams Creative Group. And now here's Luke McClung sharing his take on the All Y'all Live storytelling experience. And stick around afterward for news about our next live storytelling event, which is coming up on November 4th at Red River Brewing Company. We're really excited about it. I think it's the most uh, dramatic left turn that a story's ever taken in All Y'all history when after your father uh, has passed away and we find ourselves in a movie theater watching the movie Pearl Harbor. And I think I speak for the entire crowd when it's just like, where the hell is this going? How is this related? Uh, I mean, well, again, as I'll reiterate, and I know I've said before, and I'm pretty sure I said then, not a good movie. Not recommended. It's, it's okay. It's Michael Bay explosions and a bad romance scene. It's even longer than uh, Armageddon. We looked up, you know, when we were talking about this recently, it's three hours and three minutes. And that's a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it was, it was, it was funny in real life too. Like, I mean, it was ridiculous to be crying in a movie theater 10 years, nine years la later after my father's funeral. And, uh, Sitting next to my like geeky gaming friends while we're watching this bad war movie, 
and Kate Beckinsale's crying and being a nurse, and Cuba Gooding Jr., Academy Award winner Cuba Gooding Jr., <laughs> is like full-on waterworks, and bam, it hit me too. I just feel like the, uh, the your story is one of, an example of one where I don't think the audience knew what they had permission to feel as far as you couldn't tell. People really weren't laughing when you were peppering in kind of jokes in the midst of your father's struggle with crack cocaine. See, I, uh, I, I don't, I, I haven't listened to, I haven't listened to it. I haven't been in that story on that stage since I was on that stage. So, I mean, I, I, I remember people laughing at the end. I remember people laughing about Pearl Harbor and that was the one I wanted. Uh, I got that laugh, but yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I can definitely see where an audience would have a confused place to be in during my uh, drug addiction story thing happening. What movies actually make you cry? So, like, we know this movie. Okay, this movie has once. I've only seen this movie once. Um, so I don't know if it would happen again. Uh, but, like, there are movies I've cried at. And I, I will try to dredge some up, but, man, I don't know. But I can tell you what kind of things make me cry. Yeah. Because I'm a big reader. Even short stories or long-form fiction and stuff. Um, and I don't... I feel like I've never really cried at a true story. Like, like I mean, other than if you call Pearl Harbor a true story. <laughs> uh, I, but I mean, like, like I've seen the movie The Hurricane. Denzel Washington was great. Okay. I didn't cry that he finally got out of jail, you know. But, like, uh, you drop a piece of fiction um, where... One of the characters, and I mean, you know, science fiction fantasy guy, like one guy stays behind to guard the door so the others can escape. And that might get me like I've, I've read the end of some book trilogies where one of the heroes makes the last stand and that'll get me every time I can reread something and it'll get me, you know, well, we're going to try to find we rented on Amazon Prime. The great movie Pearl Harbor, and we're gonna find the bombing scene right now. And who knows? Maybe nothing happens. You know, maybe Luke has gotten to a different place, and that sacrifice won't affect him so much. We're gonna find out. Here we go. And that's what got me. And it's got me a little bit right now. Not, not, not. I'm not crying, but you know, I mean, it's. It wasn't like sobbing. It was just, you know, yes. full, just tearing for a few minutes. Yeah. It's a shorter scene than I thought. It, well, they, they've been playing opposite each other the whole movie. Uh, right. And like I said, like racism in the 40s and stuff. Like he's the one of the good guys. And then uh, real father to his men type to other people too. But especially Cuba Gooding Jr. Who's like I said, all, the black guys weren't allowed to be cooks. And he was like, you know like a boxer and stuff and trying to be, you know, wanted to be a real soldier. And like earlier scenes had them like privately, like the, one of the scenes I fast forwarded past was like that tea set he was carrying yeah. is because they, like he brought tea to the captain and they talked and stuff. You think it's about men helping other men? I mean, maybe, I mean like, I mean, I'll, I'll tear up, uh, you know, women's self-sacrifice too. It's okay. like, it's not just men at least. I don't think. But I was I was raised by my mom and her friends. Yeah, I was definitely still crying during this part, because that is a because <laughs> that is a very angry man on a very large machine gun. Yeah, that's like a self discovery moment. Yeah. yeah. 
Like I said, yelling and shooting. We've seen it. We don't have to keep watching <laughs> this not very great movie. Thanks for listening to our 54th episode of All Y'all. If you liked what you heard, you can always check out all 53 other episodes. I can't believe there are that many. You can get those episodes through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or just by visiting allyallblog.com. For the low, low price of $0. Endless entertainment. Endless. I mean, Endless. well, technically it's like 50 hours or so, probably. That's okay. Um, but if live storytelling is more of your thing, um, we want you to mark your calendar for our next live storytelling. The theme is Let's Eat. And that event is going to be held at 1 p.m. on Sunday, November 4th at the Red River Brewing Company in downtown Shreveport. This will be our fifth annual fundraiser event, and we will be donating 100% of the proceeds from ticket sales to a great food-related cause. In the meantime, we're looking for six great true stories that involve food in some way. These stories can be about cooking, eating, not eating, food memories, the worst dinner date that you ever went on, your weird food allergy, whatever. Your stories just got to be true and you've got to be able to tell it on stage without notes in about 10 minutes. If you think you'd like to tell a story at All Y'all Live, let's eat. Please reach out to us and let us know. You can message us via the All Y'all Facebook page or you can call us on the phone. You can call our storyteller hotline. That number is 318 five eight two zero six six five again that's three one eight five eight two zero six six five or you can email us at hello at allyallblog.com one of us will be touched with you to talk about your story one of us will be in touch with you to talk about your story we will not touch you i also just want to <laughs> i also just want to emphasize <laughs> unless you want i also just want to emphasize that by telling a story at one of our annual uh, fundraiser nights you're going to help us support an organization or event that's making Shreveport a better place to live. So hit us up with your best story and help us raise some money for a great cause. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. You can also touch them appropriately as they consent to it. Just touch your friend and say, hey, you see me touching you? That's because I want to tell you about this podcast to all y'all. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard it, but it will touch your heart just the way I'm touching you, friend. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>